Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Welcome. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Genders. Um, I've been here speaking before. Uh, I work for Youth for Christ. I've been there for, it'll be three years this October. Uh, But prior to that, I've worked in two churches for 20 plus uh, years. Would it be possible to get the house lights up just a little bit? I want to be able to see some faces and reactions. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. it is a joy to be with you this morning. I know that uh, your church is, is going through a lot. Um, anytime that uh, elders say we're going to pray and fast for 21 days, that's a big deal, right? There's stuff going on, and, and sometimes that's really good, and sometimes it's not so good. And um, I know that there's uh, some questions and decisions that need to be made uh, for this church. Uh, you're facing some unique challenges, um, and they're unique to your church because it's, it's your church. It's your family. At the same time, there, there are challenges that many other churches have faced as well. And, and I'm not trying to, to diminish them. I'm not trying to make light of them. These are significant in your hearts and your minds. Um, so I share this simply as someone who's been where you are. Uh, like I said, 20-plus years pastoring in local churches, 26 years as a member of churches. Uh, I've seen the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. I've experienced dramatic staffing changes, everything from a lead pastor who'd been there for 22 to 25 years uh, who expectantly retired, and all of a sudden he's gone, and he's been a staple for the church, and then he was replaced by somebody who was much younger, and that was a hard shift for us, but it was a, it was a good shift. It was a necessary shift. At the same time, I've, I've been in a church where our youth pastor was arrested, sentenced to prison for multiple years. Uh, for the last 15 years, I've been a pastor at a church uh, in Metamora, Germantown area. Uh, for the first 10 years of that, we saw a fairly uh, stable time in our staff. However, in the last five years, I had somebody share this number with me, the last five years, we've had 19 staff members leave the church. Some of them were good and expected. Some retired, some moved to another state. Uh, many of them were not. They left out of disappointment, anger, confusion, frustration, misalignment with where the church was going. When I go to church now, in my own church, uh, the longest tenured staff member will be three years in October, and he's the guy that replaced me as youth pastor. Everybody else on staff is new. And, And so every Sunday at church, I'm reminded of, wow, this is no longer my church. What do I do with this, this experience I've, I've witnessed church splits, I've witnessed church growths, church declines, I have witnessed multi-site church be a raving success, and I've seen it fall apart around me. I've had close friends who were hurt deeply by the church and by ministry, and they've walked away from their faith. And one of my closest friends was a, a campus pastor at a university for three years, and he texted me recently And he said, you know, Chris, those three years were the worst years for my faith. They have derailed me for the last 15 years in my faith, being a pastor. But I've also witnessed the church come around and heal broken lives, broken homes, broken relationships, 
restored to wholeness through the, the loving care and attention of the church and her people. At the end of the day, here's what I know about the local church. The church, you, me, we are the bride of Christ. We have a groom who, who died for us on the cross. We are his beloved, we are his joy, we are his passion, we are redeemed through his sacrifice. I also know the church will see great days, days of great joy and days of great sorrow. And yet Jesus told us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And here's what else I know about the local church. It's filled with sinners. It's filled with people like me and people like you. And there's moments where we're not going to be perfect. We never will be. There's moments when we'll reflect the character of Jesus in such incredible ways that, that the angels in heaven stand up and take notice. And then there's going to be moments when we, the church, we do things in such a way that the unbelieving world around us stands up and says, see, they're no different than us. What's the point of that Christianity thing? You see, the church is a place for the redeemed as well as those who still need redemption. And sometimes it's the same person in the same moment. So 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I just, as a guest, I want to I let you know that you are not alone in this prayer and fasting. That there are brothers and sisters around the world who are praying for churches all the time. There are people like me and many others who have gone through significant highs and significant lows in the church, and we're with you. And so I just want to begin, before I get into the sermon today, I just want to pray for your church. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you for new life, for the ministry that you have done in them and through them all of these years. Father, I've watched as leaders have changed and uh, ministry styles and methods have changed, and yet you have been faithful through it all. Father, I've seen days of great celebration and days of great heartache, but you have been faithful through it all. Father, may new life keep their eyes on you in the midst of these days. Father, may they sense your spirit and your presence in ways that they've never experienced before. Father, would, would the time of prayer and fasting uh, just open their hearts and their minds to your will for them as a church? Be with the leaders, the elders, the staff. Father, give them wisdom and discernment. Give them ears to hear what you're saying to them and what the church is saying as well. Father, we just we submit to you this is your church. This is your bride. And we surrender all control of that to you. You are the potter. We are the clay. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Side note, every time I say potter as a metamorph redbird in a Washington Panther church, I feel like I've done something wrong. Um, no offense to Morton. We love Morton. But they're the potters. My kids went through Metamore High School, so. Brian gave me uh, freedom to uh, speak on anything I want to speak on. 
And so it was very quick that my mind went to a book that I just started reading with my men's group on Wednesday mornings. It's a book that, um, as a new employee at YFC, I was supposed to read three years ago, and I read about half of it, um, and then things got busy, and I put it aside. Uh, but it is a phenomenal book. Um, I've got it here with me today, covers up here, uh, Gentle and Lowly, uh, Dane Orland. He's a pastor up in Chicagoland area. Here's, here's what he says. This book is called Gentle and Lowly, subtitled Jesus' Heart for Sinners and Suffers. This is from the introduction. This book is written for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disenchanted, the cynical, the empty, those running on fumes, those whose Christian lives feel like constantly running up a descending escalator, those of us who find ourselves thinking, how could I mess up that bad again? It is for that increasing suspicion that God's patience with us is wearing thin. For those of us who know God loves us but suspects we have deeply disappointed him. Who have told others of the love of Christ yet wonder if, as for us, he harbors mild resentment. Who wonder if we have shipwrecked our lives beyond what can be repaired. Who are convinced we've permanently diminished our usefulness to the Lord who have been swept off our feet by perplexing pain and are wondering how we can keep living under such numbing darkness, who look at our lives and know how to interpret the data only by concluding that God is fundamentally parsimonious. I had no clue what that word meant. I had to look it up. It means stingy. So let me reread that sentence. Who look at our lives and know how to interpret the data only by concluding that God is fundamentally stingy toward us. It is written, in other words, for normal Christians. In short, it's for sinners and sufferers. How does Jesus feel about them? I'm looking forward to going through this book with my men's group, and I would encourage you to pick it up as well. Uh, A.W. Tozer once said, uh, what you think of when you think of God is the most important thing about you. And so I have a, I have a question for you, and this is a, a response time, so you, you're going to have to give me some answers, and you'll have to say it loud because I'm getting older and my hearing's not as good, but uh, when you think of Jesus, what words come to mind? What, what characteristics of Jesus come to mind? Anybody? Gentleness. What is it? Gentleness. Gentleness. I think you just cheated because that's in the title of the book. <laughs> it's like saying Jesus in Sunday school class, so, but gentleness, true, very true. What else? Lo- loving. I thought somebody said lowly to be funny. Gentle and lowly. Loving. Good. Good. Amazing. Yeah. What else? Perfect. Good. Healer. Yeah. Good. Anybody else? A couple more. Patient. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Others? What's it? God. Yeah, Jesus is God. Absolutely. So we got him in trouble with the Pharisees, right? Here's the second question. What do you think God thinks of you? What words come to mind when you think how God views you? Lowly. Lowly. Okay. (laughs) You guys are awesome. I love it. Lowly. What else? Oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> Good, I like it. What else? Sinner. Sinner, yeah. It's also in the title. Good job. Suffers. I'll throw it out there. What? Child. Child, yeah. What else? 
Learning. Yeah. In the earlier service, somebody said work in progress. That's, whew. I wake up every day realizing I'm significant work in progress when it comes to God. Here's our core text for today. Thank you for participating with me. Here's our core text for today. It's from Matthew 11, uh, verses 20 through 30. On the screen, it's going to be from the the CSB uh, version, Christian Standard Bible. Dane goes on in his book to, to really use these verses as kind of the heart for the rest of his message. But it says this, Come to me, this is Jesus speaking, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love how Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrase says these words. Same passages, he says this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. Unforced rhythms of grace. I I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Do these verses, particularly the first part, describe anybody in the room other than me? I feel like they do. You know, there, there are days, weeks, months, where, where my walk with Jesus is incredible. Where it's just everything is going the way it should. I feel connected to him. It's vibrant. It's thriving. All these other words I would use. I'm doing all the things that a follower of Jesus is supposed to do. But then there's days, there's weeks, sometimes even months, when I'm worn out. I'm exhausted. I'm burned out on the demands that being a follower of Jesus place on my life. And in these moments, I often wonder, is it worth it? Is it worth the, the effort and the sacrifice? When my wife and I were uh, first in a local church, and we were young Christians, we came to Christ in college, we were very passionate about our faith, very vibrant in, in, our, in our walk with Jesus, um, committed to all of these things, and we moved into the local church, and all of a sudden, we weren't just around college students. We were around newborns to 90-year-olds, right? And all different levels of faith along the, the spectrum. And, and we began to notice around us that, that some people weren't maybe as committed as we were in our faith. They weren't really making the sacrifices that we felt like Christians are supposed to make. They weren't putting forth the effort that we thought Christians were supposed to do. And we really struggled with it. My wife in particular, she, she says, you know, if these people are getting to go to heaven and spend eternity with God and they're barely doing anything, why am I working so hard? It was a real struggle. It took months of, of walking beside each other as we guided ourselves through that, of saying, why is, is it really worth the effort? Is it worth the sacrifice? And listen again to Jesus. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'm take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The rest of our time together, I want to, to just break that down. I want to unpack and, and highlight a few of those phrases. So the first is come to me. 
I feel like we have a tendency as human beings to oftentimes go to things other than God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and scriptures when we're going through difficult times. I, I feel like it's, it's kind of natural to go to a friend, a family member, a neighbor, you know, a coworker. It might be some self-help books that we can find online or at the store. Maybe it's some healthy coping mechanisms with whatever we're going through, which are good. We need those healthy coping mechanisms. Maybe we turn to, to unhealthy coping mechanisms and uh, we need to maybe break that cycle and talk to somebody about that. But sometimes we tend to, to turn to Jesus as a last resort. I know as a pastor, when I would have couples come in and meet with me for counseling, it was almost too late to save their marriage. They tried everything else and then finally said, all right, well, we better go talk to the pastor right? And then I had this uphill battle of trying to sit, walk beside them to help save their marriage. What if our first instincts, in times of both celebration and in times of struggle, was to turn to Jesus? What if that was our first thought? You know, my wife and I, we text each other all day long. Anytime anything happens, you know, we're, we're like, hey, this just happened, or hey, you know, the kids are driving me crazy, like, um, hey, we, we send each other keywords when we know it's something we have to talk about in person, we'll be like, keyword, you know, such and such, and then we get home at dinner, and we're like, hey, you sent me keyword, what does that mean? And it's like, oh, okay, cool, that wasn't a text conversation. Sometimes we text each other, and we're like, hey, it's, things are going great. Sometimes it's, I'm really mad. I'm really angry right now. What if, what if that was our first thought with Jesus as well? And no matter what happened, the good times and the bad, that our first thought, just like texting our spouse or our friend or loved ones, what if that was our first thought? Was we just, we go to Jesus with it. Jesus wants that. He says, come to me. You're not going to surprise him with anything that you bring. You're not going to come to Jesus and say, God, I'm really mad at you. And he goes, oh, whoa, I didn't expect that. You know, Jesus, I am really hurting today. Wow, really? Why? I didn't expect that. No, Jesus is always going to receive that. Come to Jesus. He's waiting for you. Come to me, Jesus says. And he goes on and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And we look at this and, and we think it's talking about a physical burden. But I think it's talking about something more. Are you weary and burdened by the religious expectations that are being placed on you? Does it feel like all you're doing is following a set of rules in your faith? Does it feel like all you're doing is, is trying to please man rather than God? Eat this, don't eat that. Drink this, don't drink that. Vote like this, dress like this, attend church like this, be generous like this. If you call yourself a Christian, then you would think this, say this, do this. I often wonder how much of our religious expectations are actually coming from God and the scriptures versus man. When I was in my 20s, my dad and I decided to go to Colorado Springs for a men's conference. And we drove through the night from Illinois, sleeping in the, taking turns driving and sleeping in the back of the van. And I had a full head of hair at the time. I know it's amazing to think about. Um, it always baffles students when they discover I had hair once. Um, I don't know why that's so surprising. But I, I had a full set of hair, you know, wore baseball caps all the time, um, had been traveling by this point for about two, two and a half days, hadn't showered, sleeping in the back of a van. You're getting the picture, right? Hiking in the mountains. And my dad, before we went to the campground that night and where we had a potential for a shower and to clean up a little bit, he's like, hey, I want to go to the Air Force Academy. 
and I want to see their chapel. It's just this, this amazing building. So we've got a picture of it here. And it is. It's, I mean, you've got the mountains in the background and this just amazing architecture. And so civilians could come onto the base and tour the chapel. And so we went up and we went in and, and we're walking around. Well, I, again, I haven't showered in two and a half days. I've got hat head under this hat. I'm not taking the hat off because it's just, it's all over the place, right? So as we're leaving, there's a soldier at the door and he opens the door for us. And he looks at me and then he looks at my dad. And he says, I guess some people don't have respect for God. Whew! That was the wrong thing to say to Chris Genders at that moment. I, I walked outside, and I'm like, wait, did he just say what I think he said? Like, was he telling me that I don't have respect for God? Like, I just drove two and a half, hour, two and a half days to come to a conference to talk about God, to learn about God. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm getting all riled up, right? And I'm like, if I'm going to show respect for God, I'm going to take my hat off when I'm out in the mountains, not when I'm in some man-made building. And I'm like turning around like this to go back to the soldier. My dad's like, he's armed. He has a gun. Like, let's not do that, right? <laughs> he redirects me back. Probably saved my life and all that. But, but it was this moment. Now, looking back on it as a 48-year-old, should I have taken my hat off regardless? Yes, I should have, right? Was it because God needed me to do that? No, not at all. But it was out of respect for the man-made rules in that space, right? In the moment, I didn't understand that. I didn't, I didn't get that, right? And, and that's, a, that's a simple one. But I worked for a church where one time I discovered the lead pastor was doing something that, um, not sinful, but I just didn't think it was the right thing for a lead pastor to do. And so I, I followed Matthew 18, and I went to him one-on-one, -on -one, and I said, hey, I've, I've noticed this. I don't think it's right. I don't think you should do it. I wish you'd do something different instead. We had a fairly pleasant conversation. You know, I was nervous going into it. A couple weeks later, I get an invite to the elders meeting, and I walk into the elders meeting, and a piece of paper was slid in front of me that basically was a non-disclosure agreement and said that if you ever challenge the lead pastor again, you'll get fired. Was that God-given? Absolutely not. That lead pastor was not above being challenged. He was, he was not. Was that a man-made rule? Absolutely. Believe me, I was weary at the local church at that point. I was burdened by the local church. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And he goes on, he says, and I'll give you rest. And Jesus modeled a life of faithful activity. And a portion of that faithful activity was rest, a ceasing of all work, physical rest, a relational rest, emotional rest, spiritual rest. I love Mark 135. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went out, made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Jesus would often withdraw from the busyness and the chaos of life to find rest for his body and his soul. You know, twice we're commanded in the Old Testament to, to honor the Sabbath day. The early church leaders honored the Sabbath. The, the desert fathers took it to the next level by withdrawing from society as a whole. We need to incorporate a rhythm of rest into our lives. I came across this second book, a little reference this morning, called Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. A phenomenal book. 
And the author was a, a young pastor who uh, had the privilege of being mentored by John Ortberg. And they were having lunch one day, and John asked the young pastor, what words would you use to describe Jesus, just like I did with you guys? And the young pastor said some words, you know, things that we would all often say. And then he turned to the table and he said, John, what, what words would you use? And John looked at me and said, unhurried. Jesus never seemed to be in a hurry to get somewhere, to go somewhere, to do something. Now, he, he was God. We can't overlook that, right? He knew all things, was in control of all things, and yet uh, there was this sense of just peace in the moment. I, I love the story of uh, when Jairus, the synagogue leader, comes to Jesus. Uh, Jairus's 12-year-old daughter is dying, and kind of as a last resort, he says, okay, I'll try Jesus. I've heard he can do miracles. So he comes to Jesus and he says, would you heal my daughter? Would you come to my house and heal my daughter? And Jesus very compassionately says, yes, I will. And so they begin to travel and Jesus has his, his disciples with him and crowds are gathering around them. And there's a woman in the crowd, if you know the story, there's a woman in the crowd who has a bleeding issue for 12 years and has spent all of her money on all the doctors and still can't be healed. And, and thinks, last resort, I'll try Jesus. You know, perhaps he could save me. And so in the midst of the crowd, she reaches out and just touches the hem of his cloak. And scripture says that power goes out from Jesus in that moment. And he senses it. He feels that the Holy Spirit has, has gone out and done something in this moment. And he stops. And he looks around and he says, who touched me? And his disciples, I love them, they're like, they're like what are you talking about? Like, there's hundreds of people around. All of these people are touching you. How, why can, how can you ask who touched you? And Jesus is like, no, 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 somebody touched me. Power went out from me. And the woman very timidly steps forward and says, it was me. And, and Jesus stops and he engages her in conversation. And he offers her both physical healing and spiritual healing. And we oftentimes tell that story and we focus only on that interaction between the woman and Jesus. And yet off on the perimeter of the crowd is Jairus, whose 12-year-old daughter is dying at home. The point that Jesus, the reason Jesus is traveling is to heal his daughter. Think about this. Put yourself in Jairus's shoes for a moment. My daughter is dying. Jesus can save her. And he stops to talk to this woman? She's been bleeding for 12 years. She'll be fine for another day. It's okay, Jesus. This is more important. Come over to here. And yet Jesus, knowing who, the power he has, knowing the God that he worships, stops in this moment, he's unhurried, he heals the woman, and he goes on and he heals Jairus' daughter. How often in life are we frantic? Are we hurried? Getting from one thing to another, accomplishing one thing after another, never having time to rest. Jesus was, was never too hurried to pass up a need. He seemed to, to always have time and energy for the tasks that God had called him to. May we find a way to do the same. And then he closes with these words. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And now a yoke, if you've been around farms at all or you've studied anything like this, you know that it was a, a wooden device that attached to two oxen so they walked side by side and multiply their power, their efforts. Oftentimes it was an older oxen was tied together with a younger oxen because younger oxen are immature, they don't know what they're doing, you know, and so they're like wandering off over here and the older oxen are like, nope, we've got to stay straight, we've got to do this, this is how we do this job, right? 
And so Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And he's talking to people in an agrarian society, so their, their first thought might be to that physical yoke. But there's another yoke that was common in that culture, and that was what's called a, a rabbinical yoke. A rabbi, as he would have his followers, would have a set of rules and expectations. And he would place them on the shoulders of his disciples to say, if you're going to follow me, this is what I expect of you. Now, I have another opportunity for participation, but only one of you. Um, I need a volunteer. You need to be on stage with me uh, for a few minutes. You need to be able to hold uh, for a period of time uh, roughly 40 to 45 pounds. So, any takers? Any takers? We're not going home until somebody volunteers. So. <laughs> Otherwise, you ruined my whole illustration. 40 to 45. You got it? Okay. All right. Come on up on stage. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I need you to hold it for the whole time. Okay. You want to try it first? Okay. Here. Sure. Don't let it. Okay, I got it. You sure? Yeah. Wow, you're awesome. What's your name? Teresa. Teresa? All right, I'm Chris. Good to meet you. Okay. I have a, I have a niece named Teresa, so we call her Tara, T-E-R-A. So you good? Yeah, I'm good. All right. This is my sandbag uh, that I work out with. So um, I use this for about 30 to 45 minutes of throwing it around and doing all sorts of stuff. Okay. It's got handles on there, so you can hold it like that. You can put it on your shoulder. You can put it over both shoulders, okay. shift it around, bear hug it, all, I, all that I kind of stuff. <laughs> Whatever you do, no back issues, no neck issues. Okay, just checking. Did you sign the waiver? We, oh, there's no quickness to this. That's why. I, that's why I warned you. If you need to tag out, like, you know, let somebody else know, and they'll come up and help you. Oh, nice. I like that. So, so here's the thing. Judaism. Jesus was a Jew. He was part of the Jewish culture. Judaism had a, a set of 613 laws. The expectations, rules that, that every Jew was expected to follow. It was like this sandbag. They had to carry it around everywhere they went, right? And then rabbis would, would add to that. I, I have more sand if you want it. No, no, Are you sure? No, no, no. Okay, all right. So I, I could add more sand, and that's what rabbis would do. It's like, hey, we got these 613, but here's another 10, here's another 20, here's another 50, and it'd be like adding more sandbags into this. Are you sure? I'm fine. Okay, because I got 25 pounds over there. No, if you no, no, no. Okay, just checking, just checking. Can you imagine that? I mean, 613 rules that you're supposed to remember and live by every day. Like, I know I'm not supposed to drive faster than the speed limit, and I break that every day. I can't even keep one law, right? Teenagers don't listen to me. Um, but here comes Jesus, and he says, I'm going to offer you a new way of following a rabbi. It's not hard. It's not burdensome. We're referring back to, to how Eugene Peterson translated Matthew 11. Jesus' yoke is not heavy or ill-fitting. Have you ever felt like this before in your faith? Have you ever felt like you had to live up to the extra expectations being placed on you? Maybe they're, they're expectations you think God is putting on you, but his scripture actually would never put on you. Maybe they're expectations that you feel like a church leader is putting on you, but it's not really biblical, or a church is putting on you, but it's not really biblical. You getting tired? No. I'm you sure? Fine. You want to? Yeah, just rest my, no, no. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Because there's a whole lot of exercise I could teach you no, with this, no, Teresa. No. Okay. All right. All right. My, uh, I'm going to tell a story real quick, make it longer for you. Okay. So my, uh, my Orkin guy came to the house the other day while I was in mid-workout, 
right? And you got to keep your heart rate up. So he's like spraying the house and I'm, I got this thing and I'm like throwing it all over the place. And one of the last moves is up over my head and step underneath and let it drop behind me. He comes out in the garage. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, I just hear this loud banging all over the place. Anyway, it's fun. You should get a sandbag. <laughs> I was in a church as, as a pastor where the lead pastor decided that we needed a membership covenant. And he wrote it up. And the elders agreed to it. And it was incredibly controlling. And it was incredibly restrictive. And it said, if you're going to be a member of this church, you're going to do A, B, and C. And then D, E, F, all the way to X, Y, Z. Like, it was burdensome. I read this membership covenant and I thought, I can't sign this. Even as a pastor of this church, I, I can't agree to this. You okay? I'm fine. Okay. And if he didn't sign the membership covenant, anybody in the church, member, staff member, whatever, leader, if you didn't sign it, you got an invitation to a one-on-one -on -one appointment with the lead pastor and you had to explain to him why you didn't sign it incredibly manipulative, incredibly abusive. And it's like these yokes that rabbis would, would put on their followers. Now I realize this is a slippery slope because there are expectations that God has for us. Yeah. Randy, come here. Oh, Randy. Come here. Now. No, I got it. I got it. Here. There. No, I don't want him. He, I got it. I got it. I just had to readjust. Here. Let me help you. Okay. All right. You got one side? Okay, yeah. I got the other? Okay. Okay. There we go. Boom. There we go. Now we're helping each other. We got it. We're good. We're good. We got it. Jesus comes along. And as you know, I'm not going to put something like this on you. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it from you. I got oh, it. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. How, you, how are you feeling? Uh, my hands. It was my hands. Your hands. Purple. Yeah. See, and that, that's why I say throw it up here on your shoulders. I should have done that. You know? Yeah. You feeling better? Yeah. yeah. Jesus comes along and he says, listen, I'm not going to put anything ill-fitting, heavy, burdensome on you. I'll carry that. You live lightly and freely. This is what Jesus is offering to us. This is what Jesus is offering to you. And my hope and prayer is that you accept him when he comes up to you and says, let me carry that for you. Teresa, thank you. Thank you. Give her up for Teresa. Thank you. Jesus says, my burden, my yoke is light. It's never going to feel like this. Listen again to the words from the message paraphrase. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the, the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, Jesus says, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Where in your life 
Do you need to experience less burdens and more freedoms? Go to God with those. Invite Jesus into the messiness. Somebody said that earlier, the messiness of our lives. Talk to one of the pastors, an elder, your small group leader. If you're a student, talk to student ministry leaders. But learn the unforced rhythms of grace and how to live freely and lightly. Let's pray.